Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Changing Faith podcast. Uh, today, I have with me my friends Adam Phillips and Elsa Johnson, who are part of the lead team at Christ Church in Portland, Oregon, and we are together here at a gathering of faith leaders in Denver, Colorado. So Adam and Elsa, welcome to the Changing Faith podcast. Thank you. Excited. <laughs> Adam and I, we were trying to figure this out the other night. We've known each other for 10, I think, 11 years? I think almost 12. 12 years. Oh, six maybe? Somewhere in there. Seven. We got to know each other because I had been doing some work with the One Campaign, and then you were the National Faith Director. Yep. And uh, did a lot of work together here, and then you moved to Portland, and you guys have launched Christ Church. So just tell us, even just start, what's a little bit of the journey on how you both came together to work together at Christ Church, and how the church was launched, and yeah. so to help our listeners understand a little bit more of who you are and the story we're about to get into. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was working in D.C., working on um, advocacy around AIDS in Africa and uh, child and maternal health issues with the One Campaign, um, and... But I was a pastor by training. I pastored a church in Chicago. Always felt called. I know that's kind of like silly Christian talk, but like that's the only word I can use to describe it. Like I'm an activist, I'm a pastor, and felt called to come out to Portland, um, not to bring anything to Portland other than my family uh, <laughs> and my stuff, and just root down and um, start a community. I'd heard that people were interested in starting a, a faith community in Portland. So about five years ago, we moved out and um, started Christ Church with a denomination uh, called the Evangelical Covenant Church. And it was um, rocky at, from the start, like six, seven, eight months in, started getting phone calls and emails and meetings about, you know, some flyers we put up around um, welcoming people. And I had in parentheses, yes, all people are welcome. And then it became this thing about who's welcome. And I said, Everyone. Uh, everyone literally means everyone. everyone. Means everyone. Yes, everyone was the tagline. <laughs> Turns out they weren't so keen on our stance on LGBT inclusion and marriage equality, and so we were thrown out. Um, and this was the the denomination you grew up in. Yeah, I'd I mean, been I, in it almost twenty years. I okay. started going in high school. Um, really great people. Um, quite moderate, but I think we're noticing, especially in a time of Trump, a lot of. Um, People going to their different corners and going in directions they may not have in previous uh, decades. And so there's clearly a, a strong line in the sand around LGBT uh, equality in that faith family. And so we didn't belong there anymore. And uh, that was really incredibly painful. Um, we were just getting started. Uh, we had, you know, a small band of folks that were helping to plant the church. And Elsa was one of the first um, families to join up um, with her husband, Matt, and their, their kids. <clears throat> yeah, so tell us, Elsa, how you came to Christchurch and the role that you uh, are playing now. Yeah, so like Adam said, I came to Christchurch about the time that we were being asked to leave the covenant for um, being inclusive. Um, for me and my family, it was a really, we, we got involved because we were so welcomed into the community. It be, quickly became our home in Portland, our faith home. And so although I also grew up in the covenant denomination and have some very strong family ties to it, we felt like, of course, we stay with them. Um, this movement for inclusion is more important than that 
denomination history, and I think a lot of people in that denomination are coming to this moment themselves. And it's amazing to be on this other side because all of a sudden you find yourself in this beautiful community that really does include all. Mm. It's life-giving. We've seen so many people more fully living as they've been included in the story. So I bring into Christ Church a lot of background of working with people in ministry. Um, I was a missionary in Bolivia working with orphanages and after-school program with youth and worked with refugees and with um, directing a teen parent program, realizing that kind of the common thread was this um, desire to uh, partner with and serve with those who find themselves in vulnerable positions. And so for me, working with people and furthering that mission and the systems around that and caring for people and small groups and kids is just a natural connection point um, for all of that ministry experience I've had. Awesome. So the other night, we were sitting around a fire pit here in Denver telling stories um, some of which were hilarious that we will not put on the podcast <laughs> to protect to protect those who need it. Um, but this is the reason, um, for those of you who are listening, this is the reason I asked Adam and Elsa onto the podcast is because as we talk about what it looks like for us to take our next step in our continued spiritual journey, um, they shared a story about um, a conversation or um, an engagement and experience they had with a couple in Portland that was so compelling because it really represented how when we speak with love and grace and compassion and concern, you can actually disarm people, even those who are intent on arguing. And so when they told me the story the other night, I was like, we got to put this on the podcast. And so here we are. You've gotten to know a little bit about yeah. Adam and Elsa's journey and the journey of Christ Church. Um, so I just want to give you, just start telling the story, like give the context of what this whole thing is, or it was pub theology, and yeah. um, then what happened, because it's so good. Yeah. So I'll just talk a little bit about what public theology is, pub theology. We started it, what, like last summer? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> around Pride. We did a Pride mm -hmm. pub theology. and So the whole premise of public theology is um, it's really like taking our faith out into the public square or into literally the pub uh, or the bar or the brew pub, that idea. And so... Um, for lack of a better word, it's kind of like a Bible study in a bar. Um, and we were meeting at a really great um, pub for months and uh, up in the upper room, irony totally intended. Uh, <laughs> and so we, we, do, we, do, we do it once a month. We've done public theology around different themes. So around Pride Week in Portland, we did it around inclusion, LGBT inclusion, and we talked about the horrors of reparative therapy and how to come out of that um, that experience. Um, we've talked about climate change. We've talked about gun violence uh, and, and how our tradition in, in, the, in the Christian story speaks into those things or, or doesn't. Um, so we were getting ready to do a big, what I was feeling like was a big public theology just on a simple topic, how to read the Bible. A lot of people like Peter Enns and Rob Bell and, uh, and others are talking about this ancient library of books, right? Mm -hmm. So we're trying to help people realize that the Bible isn't one um, book written by one uh, old white guy in the clouds that was sent down to us intact. It's a myriad of stories and debates and wisdom and all kinds of beautiful mess in the Bible mm -hmm. that serves to inspire us today. Um, 
we had a bit of a scheduling snafu at this pub that we were meeting at because uh, it turns out that there is a big college basketball game that night. The Final Four was that night, and it's a sports oh, bar. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. they, they, uh, they unfortunately needed the room that we usually meet in and didn't tell us. So we're quickly like on our phones. We're like, really good at plan B. Yeah, we come up with, <laughs> we like to say, no problems, only solutions. So what's plan B? Nice. Uh, so we're like, we got to find a plan B. So um, there was a brew pub down the street that was doing trivia night. But they had a heated tent with all these beautiful, like, um, Tibetan prayer flags. Food trucks, totally Portland scene. Um, and they're like, yeah, like you guys. Portlandia, Portland. Yeah, kind of, kind of. Yeah, kind of. Um, um, they were like, yeah, you guys can post up out there. That's totally cool with us. And so people migrated over. I think they saw on Twitter and Instagram that we were moving just literally next door. And so we got there. And, this, and these random folks showed up which is always the case. Random people seem to come to our event for that. It might not trickle into church, but they, they find it to be a, a really great event for them to attend. And so they came and... Yeah, so um, because it's a public event, it's put out there, you don't need to be going to Christchurch to show up. You can see it on Facebook or yeah. in other ways. So uh, sometimes it's hard to you know try to connect all the dots. And so I kind of start at square one with people I don't know and say, hey, how'd you find out about this and event? We, we are you connected were, with Christchurch? We knew they were our people because they had big Bibles, yes. big, big, huge study Bibles. Like, Didn't you say it was the life application Yeah, he had like a life application Bible. And I was yes. like, that guy's looking for us. So. Right. So I basically, I walk in late. Uh, Adam connects me with this couple and I'm just trying to get a sense of who they are. But it was confusing because their questions were different than what I was used to. And so they said, so, you know, what is this anyway? So it's very clear that they were showing up to this thing that, he, that they didn't have much information about. And One of them followed the bar that we meet at, and that's how they found the event. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. And when they got there, I was like, were you looking for the Century event? And they said, yes. So we had to change it, but let me buy you a beer. That was like my first interaction with them. Mm-hmm. And, then I, and then I was like, I'm going to hand them off to Elsa because I didn't. I had to, like other things to do. Yeah, so he was getting ready to talk yeah. and figure out if he could even talk. Yeah. Um, so you know, I'm trying to answer their questions as best I could, but they were not. They were, they were still questioning. So when they said, "What is this thing anyway?" and I said, "Well, it's a group of people. We get together. Some people are connected with Christchurch. Others are not. This is open to whoever wants to come. So it's, it's hard in a way to pinpoint what this common theme is." Um, we like to talk about issues that we think matters and that we think that the Bible may have some interaction and intersection with. And so, you know, you could expect um, Adam to talk and then there to be some discussion. Um, and his, his answer, answer to that was something like, or I said, you know, what interested you about coming here tonight? And he said something like, well, you know, I always love to argue the Bible. And so that's what interested me in showing up. And so, you know, my thought was, hmm, that's not really what this usually is. We do have, you know, good discussion where people can make different points. Um, But I was intrigued, and I talked to them a little bit longer. Um, So did Isaac, who's also on our lead team. Um, And I noticed through, so I was kind of, you know, keeping track of them. You like to keep track of people that you don't you're not as familiar with and just try to gauge how they're in, um, able to be part of the event. 
And so we did, Adam did an unplugged version where he did kind of a shorter version of, of what he would have done if everything had gone according to plan A. And, and what was it that <clears throat> you, you said? Can I ask that? Interject with that. Yeah, sure. So I was just literally introducing the idea of like, what is the Bible? It's a collection of books written over time by different people. And it was the day after Easter, so I kind of launched the conversation around the different resurrection accounts. And yep. that even in the Gospel of Mark, there there's two versions of it. There's one where they, the first witnesses run away terrified. And then there's a later chapter edition um, that sounds a little bit like the one we probably all know, like the women see Jesus and happy ending, right? Yeah. And John and Luke and Matthew all have variations on that theme. Paul has a totally different version of that theme and just kind of helping people like on a timeline pin where those stories were told and from different perspectives. And so one of the things I said, I invited people to consider um, that what we see depends on where we stand. So yeah, maybe, and yeah. it's not like we read those narratives and some people get really tripped up. Yeah. Some people use them as, see, none of this is true. And I'm right. like, well, wait, you think this is the first time in the history of, the, of humanity yeah. that four people were telling the same story and told it differently? Yeah. Um, yeah. And Paul, most scholars believe, wrote, wrote his account and everything else earlier than the Gospels. Decades, decades earlier. I yeah. mean, it'd be like if we went to a Broncos game, like we would see different Go Broncos. things. Broncos. Yeah. We're coming back this year. Apparently. Super Bowl 53, yeah. baby. Yeah, I've opened up Pandora's box. Uh, <laughs> um, but no, like, if we went to a football game or a, a concert or even a film, like, we would come out of it with different perspectives based mm -hmm. not only on our just sheer experience in that moment, but, you know, we bring our narratives with us, you know. And so I asked folks to kind of consider, like, three to five marks of their own personal identity that might impact how they see things. Because when we're honest, if we're reading the Bible, and we've seen this through the debate on LGBT, we've seen this on the debate during the civil rights movement, like somebody reading the Bible, the same story, the same resurrection account, even if they're all different, right? But let's just pick the Mark account. Somebody, a woman in Congo is going to bring her lens to that story mm -hmm. as differently as a, as a man from Minneapolis. And so... Um, and it doesn't mean one's better than the other. It just means how do we share and hold these things and not be tripped up or terrified and run. <laughs> like, yeah, and where, where do you think that that, that fear comes from when, it, when, you, when you talk about, like, we're going to read it differently, but let, we don't need to be scared of that. What in your experiences, it, why do you think people are scared of potentially, quote, reading it wrong uh, or reading it the wrong way? Well, for one, I think some people have been taught their whole lives mm. they've how to read it um, they've hinged their lives, identities professions their whole being on the way they read the Bible and when you start to talk about there might be different ways it might unhinge pieces of identity maybe that are meant to be freed up but that feel scary to, mm. to engage with so I think that's a, a big reason yeah, I mean, when I was in college, I was part of a, a campus ministry group where we memorized individual verses, like on these little business cards, and we had like a scripture wallet that we had to like, <laughs> yeah, it was real. Like, and, and I think there were like 64 verses, and if we mastered those and memorized them, uh, we like graduated the program, the discipleship program. The problem was I, I would only know what that one or two verse snippet was, that cherry-picked thing, and I didn't know what was going on in the 
in the book of Isaiah or in uh, the Proverbs or in uh, James, you know. So I, it was just, I had to unlearn those things. Yep. There's only two verses in the Bible that don't have a verse before or after it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. I like that. <laughs> That's so hokey. Yeah. That's like a true. pastor's joke. It's and it true. wasn't even that funny, apparently. Yeah, no, it's getting <laughs> it was good. But yeah, it is the context. And I think the, the piece of potentially reading the Bible wrong, like, is the way that I grew up in it. Yeah. If you get this wrong, you're suffering eternal conscience, conscious torment. Yeah. Um, well, and we see this, like, people fight that to the bloody end. I mean, so we're going through Jonah right now on Sunday mornings. And we have a number of folks that were just told that that story of him being swallowed by a whale, not a whale, it's a great fish, um, is true. And it all hinges on the fact that Jonah spent three nights in the belly of a whale or a great fish. But you miss the whole rest of the story of like, the Ninevites are actually worth God's love. Yeah. Uh, and they're included. And you've also got the story of a uh, Jonah, who's often called a reluctant prophet. He, I don't think he's reluctant. I think he's pretty grumpy and pissed off that God is including people he, he doesn't like. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. how do you wrestle with that as a person of faith and just as a human being? So it has nothing to do with the belly of the beast, although there's a powerful metaphor there too. Yeah, and then there's people on the other side who say, okay, it's 2018, and you're going to tell me that some guy got swallowed by yeah. a fish. You really believe that? And that perspective can also lead to you missing yeah. the core and the beauty of the story as told. Yeah, so my joke lately is like, it's actually more biblical than that. So the story of Jonah isn't about a great fish. It's more biblical than that. And the more biblical than that is like all about reconciliation, inclusion, love, um, repentance. I mean, you, yeah. see, you, know, you see the story of these people that did horrible things to Jonah's people um, turn their lives around, turn their whole community, their whole city around. And so yeah. we miss that when we're fighting these like Bible truth fights, right? And so right. that, so. Yeah, so when Adam asked that question of people that night. And re- remind me what the question was. The question of being, through what lens okay. do you read the Bible? What, so you're inviting you people into a yeah. healthy. Yes. Yeah. Okay. What happened when he asked that, I was actually a little bit in the back and I was watching and I noticed that everybody started paying attention because people became vulnerable. And they, they said, some were sharing um, gender identity, mm-hmm. where they grew up, mm-hmm. sexual orientation, things that were hard in their life. They were sharing very vulnerable uh, identities that they know that's the lens through which they read the Bible. And in that moment, you could feel that everybody was just in it and paying attention. Mm. And it was a really beautiful thing. It was um, cool. And so we, that was, you know, after Adam talked, mm-hmm. there was some discussion. People brought great questions. There was an opportunity for anyone who wanted to, to share. Um, it's a pretty open, comfortable conversation, usually, about theology. Um, and so I did notice that that couple that came were... Uh, they, the big, big Bibles. Big Bible couple <laughs> didn't didn't share, and that's fine. Uh, certainly not everybody shares in that context, but it's always a great discussion. Uh, I noticed at the end of the night that a friend from church had been speaking to them for a long time, and it looked like they were really engaged. And so later when I saw him, I asked him, hey, I met that um, 
couple that was there, and I noticed that you were talking with them afterwards. Was it a good conversation, or did you? Uh, what was that? What did that look like? Um, and I shared, like, I was trying to figure out because they showed up to an event that they really didn't know what it was, but they were interested, you know, they and they were holding Bibles. So I had one context of them, and the other was kind of a confusion of their line of questioning to me. And so he said, oh, no, they brought the Bibles as a joke. <laughs> and They brought the Bibles as a joke. They showed up to an event that they knew that the yeah. Bible would be discussed and so they brought the Bibles as a joke, and they happened to be atheists. <laughs> I love it. And they shared that their intention for that night was to argue the Bible. They wanted to come, and they said, at least at the end of the day, we know this will be entertaining. And so they were ready oh my to so, instigate. <laughs> well, the final four is on. You live in Portland. You know what we should do? We should go find some Bibles choose, and go argue story. with Christians. At a bar. At a bar. <laughs> yes. Oh, th just that alone is... That's true. ...is really funny. Yeah, so really intriguing and interesting. They ended up having a great conversation with this friend. What were, what were some of the things they were saying like, um, at, at the end of this in the conversation with your friend? Well, he, the guy shared that um, he had grown up in a Christian house and has a lot of trauma after mm. it. Um still working it out personally, but does not have interest in the church, uh, comfortable with being an atheist and not really interested in that changing, um, but was left at the end of the conversation, the friend from Christ Church saying, you know, I think we'll see them again. Really? Yeah. You think they'll bring their Bibles back? <laughs> I don't know, but they were really sweet people. Mm -hmm. uh, and I kind of like the, I, I could pick up on the mischief uh, when I met them. Um, there was a smirk. Yeah, there was kind of a like, I don't know, it just was, I don't even remember his name because he gave me three different names um, over the course of the evening. So he's just kind of messing with us. And But it was a, it was a kind and... Uh, it was just funny. I don't know. It was yeah. just. It was. I was never threatened by it, um, and I'm so glad that they felt so included. I guess. Yeah, and that's what I was going to ask. What What was it? And this is what I want us to think about as we're listening together. Is what was it about? I know it wasn't just what you, Adam, said. Um, Elsa, it wasn't just the way you answered well, questions. Yeah, yeah. But what was it about that that time that you all spent together? at this bar that caused them to go from, we're going to mess with these people, we're going to come and argue, yeah. um, to, wow, I feel like I want to sit and talk and think about this. And I asked that question because, again, as we think about taking our next step, um, we live in a time right now where the church is divided, our country is divided, um, I mean, families are divided, yeah. people are arguing, um, and without even planning it, Whatever you did in that evening it was powerful enough, you and your community was powerful enough to take people who wanted to argue and brought them to a place of, yeah, I think they might be back. And so that's why I, I, that when you told that story the other night, I was like, oh, we've got to sit and think about this. Yeah. Um, because whatever you did um, really was helpful for this couple. I think it was everything. They walked into a place where people were friendly and open. Adam had some good things to say. 
And then in a space which was not um, our typical space, so felt a little uncomfortable. There were some people that were not a part of our group, and Adam's over there talking about the Bible, and I'm thinking, what are they thinking? <laughs> I was um, offering free beer to anybody that was like stuck in that tent with us because I yeah. felt I felt like I didn't want to so, ruin their night, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we we it wasn't a totally comfortable space, but then people when you say up. that, like it wasn't comfortable for you. It, no, it was just that it wasn't our um, typical spot, and okay. it wasn't private. So there were other people around, but instead of that kind of clamming people up. I saw people be vulnerable and be real with each other um, about real things and engage with each other uh, as a community. And I think all of that together yeah. is hmm. part yeah. of it. Yeah, are the people, our people that come are just this beautiful array of, of folks with various stories of being in a church or a Christian community or a home and... Uh, and they're really um, committed to being present and showing up. So that's a huge thing. Yeah. And I think the the big difference, like, it's not, people do, people have been doing Bible studies at coffee shops and bars for 10 years now or so. It feels like it's not, it's like not an innovative approach, right? Right. But for me, it's, it, it's not about like, oh, let's pop up at a cool spot and talk about the Bible. It's about let's never feel like we have to put on our, like, Bible hats before we walk into a room and be different. Mm. I want to be who we are Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Sunday, all the time. Like I want to like an integrated approach to the, these stories and to reclaim them. And them, if we have to, like cry about them or make fun of them. And I, and I think that's what we try to do yeah. in those evenings. And um, I don't. And I, I've never ever had someone in Portland, which is like always in the top five lists of least religious cities, you know, mm -hmm. most secular cities. I've never had a person um, bash me for my faith other than other church people. So, like, whether I'm getting my hair cut, when I'm at a bar, oh, yeah. when I'm on uh, the bus, when I'm at the bike shop, um, and, and it comes up, what do you do? They're always intrigued. Yeah. They're like, you do that? Uh, I say, yeah. And... Um, I think that's like the invitation, like the vulnerability that Elsa was talking about. Like, yeah. just be ourselves and just walk in with all of who we are. Well, and it sounds too like you didn't show up and say, okay, here's the point we're going to prove tonight. No. Um, I mean, that's a strong way of saying it, but you didn't show up and say, we're going to tell them what the Bible is. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was a question, what is the Bible? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then it was, how do you read it? Which is strangely yeah. like Jesus, right? When <laughs> right. he says, well, you know, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What, what does the text say? How do you read it? Mm -hmm. um, which, and I point that out because one of the things, and it's similar um, in my experience here in Denver with people who don't identify as Christian, yeah. is I was taught to go out and give them the good news or, quote, present the gospel which meant a, a simple plan for ensuring right. their eternal security in heaven. Yep. But in, implicit in that was this idea of um, I have an answer, and whatever, an whatever answers or conclusions the person I'm speaking to has come to to this point is absolutely wrong, so they need to hear what I have to say. And I think what I'm, even the other night as you guys were talking and as Adam, you and I have gotten to know each other over a lot of years and else as I'm getting to know you, there's like, no, I'm actually really concerned about what the other 
the person I'm speaking to, I'm, I'm really concerned about what they think. I really genuinely want to hear about their experience. Their story matters. Their experiences matter. How they identify matters. How they vote matters. All, all these, all these things are important. And I think if when we think about having conversations with people, and again, this is not just religious. This is if you're if you're a dyed in the wool Democrat, how do you begin to speak to? Uh, a dyed-in-the-wool Republican in a way where you invite them to help you understand them. Yeah. Because I, people just people enjoy talking about themselves and not in like a narcissistic way, but if they sense like, oh, you want to know about me? Yeah. That, that's a massive invitation forward. And I think that's one of the things that I see with you guys, which is yeah. super important. Yeah, and I think it even starts with um, how we help kids frame that in themselves. It's more about... Um, wondering rather than filling kids with information that we think that they need to know. Yeah, right, right, It's right. about walking alongside them and helping them figure out um, how to connect with that yeah. that's already within them. And so as a lot of grown-ups <laughs> didn't grow up in that world, I think at least at Christchurch we're trying to help bring people along in that journey and ask questions and listen along the way. What are some of the things for our parents who are listening? What are some of the things that they can do with their kids when it mm. comes to cultivating that kind of almost curiosity yeah. I mean, uh, within I th them? Yeah, I think um, it starts with everyday interactions. Uh, when something happens as adults, I think we always walk in, a lot of times we walk into situations assuming we know what happened. And so even in these everyday interactions, maybe between siblings and one of them gets hurt, it starts with, hey, what happened? Before assuming that you know, even if you saw what happened, you probably don't know why it happened the way that they felt which caused it to happen. So I think it starts with everyday interactions with kids and then um, that in turn leads into their spirituality and helping them ask questions and uh, noticing the value that they are born with and the fact that each of us are born with this ability to connect with that still, small voice, that peaceful place in us that has never been wounded. There's still this place yeah. in us yeah. that we can um, access, that we find peace. And so I think kids and grown-ups alike, we all need people around us that are... Uh, asking questions and helping us wonder what mm. that looks like. I'm trying to remember the quote, but I read this several weeks ago, and I, it was in one of my teachings um, on a Sunday morning. We were talking about train up a child in the way the go. child should go. And the idea is, like, parents determine the way the kid's supposed to go, and the promises, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. Which, I'm like, to the, give me, any casual observer can look at parents who've done a great job and their kids just go off the deep end. And the rabbis point out that it's actually a very difficult, tricky Hebrew in Proverbs. And it's something akin to train up a child in the way they are going to go or that mm -hmm. they are going. In other words, get to know who they are mm -hmm. and then help them along that path. And when they grow old, they will have already been given the gift of true self. And of course, they're not going to depart from that. Mm -hmm. And so uh, there was one rabbi that talks about, it's a trust and a belief that children come with an incipient wisdom where they know something of themselves, mm -hmm. even like in their pre-verbal, pre-conscious state, mm -hmm. um, which is super important. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I really worry about friends and um, others that I know that are swinging the pendulum so far away that they, they don't want to give their children any, any instruction or any guidance or yeah. any faith uh, formation, spirituality. Um, and I know that's coming from a place of hurt and fear and anxiety and, and maybe even anger and rage about how you might have been raised. But um, there have been so many generous and beautiful traditions from the rabbis uh, to um, those that were in the apartheid movement, to the civil rights movement, to today, this moment where people are reaching back to these powerful stories in the scriptures and not just reading them, but letting them letting the scriptures read us and mm. impact how we might be and go into the world. And so um, I have a nine-month-old son. His name's Desmond. And I'm not, I have no idea how we're going to do this, but I do know um, we had him baptized and mm -hmm. I do know that we will raise him in the faith. It'll be his choice when yeah. he grows, but um, we want to impart upon him the, the richness of this beautiful, inclusive tradition. Yeah. Um, and kind of break that generational cycle of stuff that some of us may have inherited about the fear and anxiety of, of an angry God and eternal torment. That's, yeah. that's not part of our story anymore. Right. Right. And how do we help kids grow up knowing this really lavish, scandalous love story? Yeah. And I think thinking through these things, not just as, as we listen, but... Um, even going away, I know I, I get some emails from people who listen with their small groups. Yeah. Um, it's been said a bunch of different ways, but it, any system is perfectly tailored to get the results it's getting. And one of the things that I've seen, and this is why, again, this story about these atheists who show up with the Life Application Bible is such a good yeah. story, is so often what I've seen more and more and more as I've grown older is people get turned off by religion immediately. Uh, I was speaking a few months back um, to a group that was connected to the ACLU of Denver about Christianity. And one of the first questions the guy started with, anytime I hear people talk about God or Jesus, I shut off. Yeah. That was the first thing yeah. out of his mouth. And so I think it's important for us to consider rather than just doubling down on the way it's always been done. And then what I hear oftentimes, people blaming the, quote, the world. Yeah. Oh, they just have hard hearts. And I'm like, maybe the way that we're doing it mm. um, has run its course. And yeah. we should be grateful for what it did do. Um, and we need to give it a really good funeral with some beautiful eulogies. Mm -hmm. um, but what I always see with Jesus is when he would speak to people who were on the, the margins and the fringes, from the Roman soldiers to the hookers, to the tax collectors, to the poor, to the sinners, they were compelled by what he was doing and saying. Yeah. Um, and that's why I love this story is you have people that somehow were compelled. And I think if we can begin to recalibrate in our heads how we talk about our faith in the public square, um, not to beat people over the head with it, but to invite, begin from a place of inviting yeah. them to tell their story so that we can hold that with them. Yeah. Um, that's some really important space, and that's what you guys are doing, which is fantastic, in my opinion. Well, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Looks so like you were going to say something. No, I'm just, I'm grateful. I'm grateful yeah. to be here. I'm grateful to be able to do the work with a great team like Elsa and, and Isaac and Josh, and it's just good. I mean, like, yeah. we, we don't have to do the things we were um, scared into doing. Right. And we find that people are responding to to these stories and to this, this hope for the world. 
Yeah, it's pretty basic. Like it's pretty simple. Like yeah, <laughs> I don't feel like we're reinventing the wheel. I feel like we're just uh, let go to to do the work. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, thank you so much thank for you. taking time out of our network. Yeah. Whatever. I don't know what meetings these are happening right now that we're skipping, but yeah. uh, <laughs> it's gracious of you guys to spend time together. So appreciate that. Yeah, thanks. So again, my guests today are Adam Phillips and Elsa Johnson from Christ Church in Portland. If people want to find you online, how do they do that? Uh, everything is Christ Church PDX, so Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, website, um, all of it. Yeah. And what about you, Adam? Uh, you can follow me, uh, Adam Nicholas Phillips, on Facebook, or you can email me at adam at christchurchpdx.org. Right on. And Elsa? You can email me at elsa at christchurchpdx.org. Okay. It's a good place. Yeah. Perfect. Well, thanks again. And thanks again for joining us for another episode of the Changing Faith podcast. We really appreciate it. And I, uh, like I said, this story um, really can be a great conversation piece for the way that we express our faith uh, and talk about our faith and hold it humbly but with confidence in the world in which we live. So as always, until next time, much love and peace be with you.